doing it today, just humor me, all right? Just grab an actual physical Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one in a pew somewhere around you that looks like this, says the story on top of it. We'll be on page 144 in that Bible. Part of the reason I want you to do that, I'm going to go ahead and just get into, I, I was going to tell you my goal for today, for, for this text, I have one main goal. There'll be some sub-things we'll look at. But as I was looking at this text, I thought, man, if there were one thing, and really, as, as, your, as, as your pastor, as a pastor, if, if there were, there's a real short list of things that I think, these, these are the things that are really my goals in ministry, right? And one of those, I want to help you, and the Holy Spirit's got to do it. I, I just I ask the Lord would use me as a broken vessel to do this, is to help you genuinely fall in love with God's Word. I, don't, I want to talk to you today about, about that in the book of Joshua. And so as you, as you hold a physical Bible in your hand, not an iPad or an iPhone, and here's why. There's some weird things our brain does. We, we connect um, certain emotions and reactions to things, right? Like we remember things based off of smells, we have memories, and we have these psychological connections to things. And and, and I, I really want you to have like a psychological, emotional connection and affection for, for the Word of God. And so for me, I, I spend most of my time studying it with a physical Bible because of that reason. I, now, I use an iPad, and I, I usually even preach from an iPad, and, and you may not know that. I sneak it up here while we're praying so you don't see an iPad because I don't want you to see that. I want you to see the Bible. I don't even have an iPad up here today. I'm going old school. My sermon notes are right here on a card. Now, that was partly planned. Partly the Lord deleted my sermon last night uh, from my iPad. So it's a good thing I had remembered most of it. And so we'll just go ahead and use that as an excuse if there's anything not good today. You just go ahead and blame it on that, right? Uh, excuse my allergies, my sniffling too. But as we look at this, I understand that the Bible can be, and it really is, if we're honest, an acquired taste, right? Usually, you don't, most people don't just go, man, I just love reading this ancient literature that's hard to interpret. There there has to be time spent with it, and there have to be moments where it became your refuge for it to become an affection of yours, Coffee is an acquired taste, right? So just to give you an example of what I'm talking about. I never drank coffee until I was in seminary getting my master's degree. And I would have to stay up so late working on papers. I was working full time and going to seminary and kids. And there just wasn't a lot of spare time. I haven't had spare time in 20 years. And um, I don't know what it is anymore. But I remember just I needed caffeine to keep me up. And I didn't drink coffee. And so I would drink soda. And uh, I already... Uh, am a robust man. But if you drink that much soda, I started to become significantly robust and more and more robust. And I saw that it was a pattern that was not slowing down. And so I decided I got to switch from drinking soda because I need to get to something that's not going to pump my body full of sugar. And so I thought, well, I'll switch to coffee, but it's an acquired taste. And so I drank it and I thought, oh, this thing needs sugar. So I would put milk in it and I'd put sugar in it. And I thought, This isn't doing any better than soda was doing for me. And so I made a decision in seminary that I was going to like coffee. And so I made a a commitment 
to one month of drinking black coffee every day. And I thought, if I can do it, if I can push myself through this for a month, then surely on the other side of this, I'll be able to tolerate drinking black coffee. And so for the first week, it was really hard to get through one cup. I would drink it. And and understand, I'm drinking seminary cafeteria coffee, right? I'm not going to a nice coffee shop and getting a good coffee. I'm like just going, pumping the coffee at the cafeteria, at the seminary, and just choking it down. Well, after a month, I started to more than tolerate. I started to kind of like it. And I got to tell you, I I like to be somewhat of a simple person in in the way I dress and what I drive. I don't like being pretentious. I don't like the idea of being pretentious. But I'm going to be honest, I've so acquired a taste for coffee, there's no p- more pretentious moment in my life than when I order coffee at a coffee shop. I'm just going to be I like, look, I'm not talking venti, mocha, frappuccino, latte, whatever. I'm talking real coffee. I'm talking a pour over or French press of some Ethiopian or Peruvian uh, blend of, of beans, medium roast, coarsely ground. So I get this, you know, the notes of fruitiness and all these things. I've gotten to where I genuinely love a really good cup of coffee. And the thing is, when you drink it black, you can tell the difference between a good cup of coffee and a cheap cup of coffee. Well, if you're constantly just putting creamer, and my wife says she loves coffee, but if we're all honest, she loves creamer with a little bit of coffee. I, I, I've gotten to where I love coffee, like a good coffee shop, good cup of coffee, brewed right, where they're like testing the temperature. I, you got to go watch it like a pour over. They got a digital scale. They're like measuring exactly how much water, like by the point whatever ounce. And, and it's just, but it like pr- produces this. It's less bitter. It's got this nice, it's almost got this like hint of like honey or fruit in it. I love it. See, the Bible is an acquired taste. And like coffee, for you to pick up on the subtle notes of what's going on, you're going to have to commit yourself to it for a season. And it's going to have to... And see, here's the thing. Coffee now has memories for me. I, I remember my first time having Peruvian coffee, and that's become my favorite origin for, for coffee because I was in Peru on a mission trip, and we went to this coffee shop, and I got this cup of coffee, of Peruvian coffee, right there, right there, as fresh as it could possibly be, and it was just amazing, and I have a great memory of that, right, which is why I prefer a Peruvian bean. In the Word of God, there are texts for me that have become emotional, just to get to them, right? When I flip my Bible open, and we will in a minute, to Psalm 119, it it conjures up something in my soul. Because in my deepest, darkest moments, that's where I've turned to, where God has taken me to is Psalm 119. And it became a home for me. It became a refuge for me. The greatest thing I think I can do for you as a pastor is not create a great strategy, not have great marketing, not have a great youth ministry, not have great facilities, not even deliver a great sermon. Really, I think the greatest thing I could give you, if I even had the ability to give it, but I don't, is to give you an affection and a passion for the Word of God. Because that, listen, the Word of God can carry you like nothing else. And it's when we get to something like Joshua, 
we have to be really careful how we view God's word. And here's what I mean. On, on a narrative, historical narrative, like a, a Joshua, where there's all these stories and these things happening, it, it's really easy for us. And, and in, in Western American Christianity, we've had this bad habit of making it this stories of moral compass. And it's this like, these are just ways to be a good leader, the ways to be a good person. These are ways to behave better and good life lessons out of here. And listen, when you do that, you cheapen it. We're, 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 we're back to cafeteria, burnt coffee out of the drip. We're no longer on the, on the French press or the pour over deep richness of the word when we just make it about, well, this is a good thing about just being courageous, being a good leader, slay your giants. No, we've got to recognize this is the supernatural breathed out by God, inspired word of God that is sufficient for everything you will encounter. Everything you will encounter in life. This right here is sufficient. And it's beautiful. And it's deep. And you cannot even access the depths of it if you were to devote your entire life to it. At the same time, you could have an elementary education and God's word could reveal unbelievably profound truth to you. You could get seven PhDs in biblical theology and never get to the depths. There, there's more than enough here for everyone yet accessible, right? Isn't it amazing how accessible it is? I love that we have it on our phones. I'm not anti having your Bible on your phone. I think that's great because now I have access. I have my, I have Logos, a software I use of commentaries and all that sort of stuff that I've acquired over the years. I have access to all of that on my phone. I could look up tons of things on my phone. I love that. But for me, I, I found my affection increases with, with this Bible here because I look at my notes and my highlights and I remember what was happening when I did that and how God came through for me, how he taught me something else about himself. And so I want you to acquire a taste for the word of God. As we look at Joshua chapter 1, if you would stand with me. Short passage today. Verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You may be seated. (laughs) 
God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would help us acquire a greater taste. Even if we come in here passionate and in love with your word, Lord, just increase that. Lord, for anyone that came in here today and and to them, the word of God seems stale and dry. Lord, let them not feel beat up about that, but let them be encouraged today and ignite a passion in their heart for your word. Help them acquire the taste in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, let's think through what's going on here. We're not far into the book, so we don't have to go back a lot for context, but we could. We could go all the way through Genesis through Deuteronomy, really, the first five books written by Moses. But, but just a, a quick summary of what's going on here. God has called Moses to deliver the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt. And, and like we, as children of God, were slaves to sin, they were slaves to Egypt. And, and they get freed through unbelievably miraculous showing of God through these plagues and all these things. And over and over, and, and we could go back to this, and with each plague you'll see that God is showing his dominance over a false idol every time, right? With every single plague, it's actually tied to a false god of Egypt, and, and he's showing his dominance, that those, those idols, those gods don't even exist. He is the one true God. And over and over, he shows his dominance, his power, his victory, and Moses leads them out of the wilderness. They approach the promised land, the land that God told them they would go. It's filled with milk and honey. Whether that sounds to be a good thing to you or not, that's figurative language, meaning it's going to be great. Grapes are huge, but so are the people. And so when they send in the spies, 12 spies, one from each tribe, 10 come back with bad news. Here's the deal. We live in a broken, messed up world, and there will always be bad news. Every situation you walk into, every day when you wake up and get out of bed, before you even get out of bed, there's bad news. And guess what the bad news is? You. You think about you more than anything else in the world, right? And so before you even got to the bed, the bad news is that you are a selfish, sinful human being. But the good news is you've got a Savior that can transform you by the renewal of your mind as you let the Word of God dwell in you richly, as you abide in Jesus, as you abide in His Word, as you abide in His love, you will bear much fruit and you'll become less like you, the flesh of you, and more like Jesus. There's always bad news, but there's always good news. And so the ten bring back bad news, and two, Joshua and Caleb, say, yeah, these guys aren't lying. The guys there are huge. They're massive, which is going to make it even better, right? It's going to make it great because we're going to go in there and destroy them. Why? Because God said so. The same God who did the ten plagues, the same God who split the Red Sea, the same God who has provided for us over and over in miraculous ways, that God who's delivered us from Egypt will deliver this land into our hands because it's his land and he told us to do it. So come on, let's go. And he's all excited. In my mind, it's like this halftime speech and the coach is, is, you know, pumping everybody up, but then the the camera pans out and all, all the football players are going, but we're getting destroyed. Right? And so they decide not to do it, and for 40 years, they got to wander around in their wilderness. And we were talking in our Bible study group this morning that our life now as children of God is that wilderness. See, 
in here, you're either still a slave to sin, yet to be freed by your Redeemer, or you're walking in the wilderness. Freed by God, redeemed by God, no longer a slave, but still not in the promised land. We don't get to get in the promised land until one day. We get glimpses of it. We get glimpses of God's glory, glimpses of peace with Him. And I'm going to tell you, the majority of those glimpses will come the more time you spend right here in the Word of God. So God comes to Joshua and says, I got bad news and I got good news. Bad news, Moses is dead. He freed you from Egypt. You've been following him for 40 years. You've seen him with with supernatural wisdom stand in the gap and intercede for his people. You've seen him provide water through my power. You've seen him lead the people with wisdom. You've seen him and now he's gone. And and, and whether you think it's bad news or good news, I would consider it bad news. Guess who I'm going to use to lead the people now? You. It's time to step up, Joshua. And here's the good news. You're going to cross the Jordan River. Now, that doesn't sound like good news. If you know much about the Jordan River, it's pretty impossible to cross. But he says the good news is you're going to cross it, and you will give to the people, my people, the land that I promised they would inherit. He's faced with this impossible task. And God presents this impossible task to him. But here's what I need you to see this morning. It's no more or less impossible than the task that has been given to you. Salvation, your salvation of your soul is an impossible task, more so than crossing a river or military strategy. Your your sin puts you in a position with God where you can't cross anything. You are hopeless and in desperate need of intercession by God himself. The only way that you as a lost person can have hope is if God himself, the creator of the universe, were to intercede and step in. And then, good news, that's, that's a real opportunity God's love is so great that he provides that for you. And you can be forgiven and redeemed and brought in as a child of God into the family. But here's the the next impossible task. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul follows up on what's also written in Colossians 1, where in Colossians 1 he says that Jesus, the preeminent one, the firstborn, is reconciling the world back to himself. 2 Corinthians 5 says we're new creations, and we have then been given the ministry of, of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ. Meaning this, good news, God's going to reconcile this broken world back to him through you. It's an impossible task. Salvation and your ministry. And understand this, if you are a child of God, you have been called to ministry. There is no exception. There is no hierarchy. This pulpit does not make me a holier man than you. The the calling God has put on my life does not mean I have greater access to the Holy Spirit than you. Does it mean I'll have a higher accountability? It does. The Bible teaches that. That keeps me up at night sometimes. And it keeps me out of trouble sometimes, if I'm being honest. Start to make a stupid decision, you think. I should probably not make that stupid decision. I should probably walk in wisdom. But each of us, every one of us, if you are a child of God, 
If you're telling me that when I die, I'm going to heaven because Jesus has forgiven me, that's great news. I'm glad. That means you have been called to ministry. Not necessarily full-time vocational ministry, but ministry. You've been called to make much of Jesus with your life on a regular basis in the sphere of influence that he's given you. It's an impossible task. You cannot reconcile the world back to yourself. Turning your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. I'll summarize the story and just read 26 to you. So here, here when we hit impossible things, we've got to define some things here. So there's this story, you're probably familiar with it, of a rich young man. right? A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says... What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He calls him good teacher, and Jesus says something interesting. He says, why do you you call me good? Only God's good. And he goes, you you know the commandments? I know you do. And he goes, yeah, I've followed those all my life. We're good. Right? And so then Jesus has his interaction with him. He goes, okay, well then Jesus, knowing his heart, says... I need you to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Now, does that mean all of us are to sell everything we own and give it to the poor? Not necessarily. Does it mean some of you may need to sell some of your things and give it to the poor? Quite possibly. I don't know. I I know that it means you ought not to hold on to it so closely that if Jesus were to ask you for it, it would be hard to give it away. I know that it's recognizing I don't own these things anyway. It's not my money. It's not my stuff. It's the Lord's. He's provided it for me. And so if somebody else needs it, and the Lord puts it on my heart, then it's not for me to sit here and do a pros and cons list. It's for me to just be obedient. Right? So, But here's the interesting thing. The the guy that's so good, which is interesting, Jesus just said, nobody's good but the Father, and he goes, yeah, me too. He's like, no, 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 nobody's good but God. No, yeah, I followed all those commandments. I'm, I'm, I'm good too. Okay, all right, interesting. <laughs> Sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Whew, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> and he walks off. Then Jesus says this. The disciples were astonished, and they ask him in verse 25, well then, Jesus tells the story of it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So the disciples Ask him in verse 25, well, then who can be saved? I mean, they're a little stressed out now. I mean, this guy's followed the commandments better than I have. If he can't be saved, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, the reason I'm going to pull up this verse, I'm going to pull up another one here in a second, is these are verses we use. And again, how we treat the word of God will determine the the affection we'll truly enjoy and delight we'll truly get from it. If we treat the word of God as a list of philosophical morals and ways of making decisions and doing life, encouraging, inspiring sayings, then we could take this with man it's impossible, with God all things are possible, and, and, and we could go, I, I, I'm going to speak it into truth, and I, I, I'm going to be the CEO of my company within five years and be driving a Mercedes Benz, and I'm going to speak 
my truth. It's called the Word of Faith movement, and it's a false lie of in, in, in a watered down and a complete contradiction of what the Word of God teaches us. If you have been succumb into this idea of word of faith or prosperity gospel that you can just pursue God and he'll give you constantly financial blessing and all these things, then you have been deceived. And, and listen, understand, I'm not trying to rob you of anything. I'm trying to give you something even better. Don't, don't settle for worldly things when God has supernatural things to give you. I'm not offering you a lesser version of the word of God when I tell you this. I'm offering you something far more significant than what the world can give you. And we have this idea, we love to get our ears tickled, and we love to take a verse like this and think, I'm going to accomplish impossible things with my life. Why? Because God, God said I can. You know what? God may very well call you to be a CEO. I'm not saying he won't. I'm not, I'm not against you being wealthy. I, I just have realized it's, it's really not as great as you think it is. And, and, and if we're careful and, and we look at it, our motivation on some of those things is who? Us. The whole point of this thing is not you. The whole point, look, we can't read the Bible like our high school yearbook. You get your high school yearbook, they even still do those, or are they online now, or I don't know. You get your high school yearbook, you start flipping through, and, and why? Because you want to find a picture of you. You want to find the clubs you were in. You want to find your picture. Why? Because you think about you. This is not a yearbook. This is, this is the Word of God, and it's about Him. So when it says, with man it's impossible, he's answering the question that the disciples just asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus goes, well, if it were up to you, none of you. If it were up to you being good enough and doing enough, then none of you would be saved. But God gives the possibility for the greatest reward, the greatest delight, the greatest joy, the presence of God in our lives free of his wrath, of his punishment, of his condemnation. Because he loves us and because he provides that way, he stands in as an atonement and he pays that price that we couldn't pay. It was impossible for us, but it's possible because of the cross. Then go to another famous one, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, we got to understand the context. Everybody say context. You got to know the context. What, what's going on? What, what's, what's surrounding this? What is he talking about? In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he's been writing from prison, which is always cracks me up when we use, we use verses for prosperity gospel and for positive thinking, and we forget. This guy wrote this from prison, Right? He's writing this from prison to the Philippians, and, and, he's, and he's heard that they are worried about him. He's heard that they have concern for him, and, and they, they want to send some financial gifts to him because prison in those days, they didn't have a cafeteria. There wasn't a mess hall. You ate if people brought you food. And so they're concerned about him, and so he, he says, 
Go back to verse 10. He says, I, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length that you, have re- that you have revived your concern for me. I'm glad you guys started sending me stuff. That's awesome. Thank you. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I know you were concerned before, but you didn't have any money to send. And I get it. I'm not mad at you. Now that I'm speaking of, now that we're talking about what it means to be in need, now that we're, so understand, again, context, now that we're on the subject of being in need. This is the subject we're talking about. So he's used this as a segue to teach them. Now that we're on the subject of being in need, or not that I am, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, as he writes this from prison, to be content. I, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's a movie out there called The Secret that teaches this word of faith, prosperity gospel idea. They call it the law of attraction. So don't speak negative things because if you speak negative things, negative things will happen. If you're sick, deny that you're sick. Don't speak that truth. Speak truth that I'm not sick and I'm going to speak into existence. Now, do we have the ability to uh, mind over matter is, is a thing to a degree. You can, you can, convince, you can be a hypochondriac and convince yourself you're sick and, and would it be better to think positively? Like we said earlier, Every situation has bad news, has the negative. And will it benefit you to think on things that are more positive? Absolutely, it will, it will benefit you. Jesus tells us himself, in the, and through the word of God, through the Apostle Paul, that we should set our mind on things that are above. Right? He tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, look, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough concerns. Let tomorrow worry about itself. This is not the power of positive thinking, though. This is not the power of speaking positive things into my life so that they'll then come into existence. Paul writes from prison, no matter what the world throws at you, if Christ is your rock, you can handle it. No matter what the diagnosis is, no matter what the bank account says, no matter what your relationship status on Facebook, no matter what your inner thoughts tell you about yourself, you can stand on the rock. Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, look, you can, I've taught you some great things here. You can go about this one way or the other. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, you can either build your house on the sand or you can build it on the rock. And he says, and when, not if, when the storm comes, if your house is built on the rock, it'll stand. Don't don't sell yourself short and make the Bible your feel-good book. Now, can it produce some amazing emotions? We're going to get to that. But you you, you can approach it for the low-hanging fruit of just being like inspirational thoughts, and you'll get some, some nice little emotions here. Or you can approach it as the breathed out, inspired, sufficient word of God. Dive into its depths. Make your home there. And get something that is everlasting. That's on the rock. So no matter what the world throws at you, you can stand strong in Christ. 
But you've got to approach it for what it is. Now I'll go back to Joshua. We're going to get into it. Look at the beginning of verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Look at the beginning of verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Look at the beginning of verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? As Joshua faces the impossible, as we face the impossible, God's challenge to Joshua and to you is be strong and courageous. Not within your own strength, not because you can handle it. The world will tell you a fluffy little lie that God will never give you more than you can handle. But it is just that, a fluffy little lie. God will consistently give you more than you can handle. Because he wants you to accomplish more than you can accomplish. Because the task given to you is bigger than you. Because you aren't self-sufficient within yourself. We have this Western idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be self-sufficient. And here's where it bleeds into how we approach Christianity in such a negative way. Some of us don't want to be in a discipleship group or a Bible study group or be held accountable or be discipled by somebody because we are scared to admit that we're not perfect. I'm just going to let you know, nobody here thinks you are. (laughs) Don't, Don't get it confused. Nobody here was already having that stance. You're not messing that up. And I'm going to do everything I can to let you know that I am definitely not. The most unhealthy thing you could do in my relationship with you is put me up on this pedestal up here as a guy who's always right and is never wrong and never argues with his wife and never is is rude to his children and never forgets to do his quiet time. Look, don't put me up there. Because this was never about me. This is why I want to make you fall in love with the Word of God. If you fall in love with my preaching of the Word of God then when you see, finally, for some reason, it it, it comes clear to you that I am imperfect, it'll shake the core of your faith if I'm the foundation. But if the Word of God is the foundation, then when I mess up, you can be like, well, good thing the Bible's true, because that pastor ain't. Right? I have no desire for you to hold me up there. I want you to fall in love with this. Find your strength and courage here in the word of God. This is what God tells Joshua, right? Continue on. Look at verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that all the law that Moses, all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to it all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. All right, we're going to camp out here for the majority of the rest of our sermon. I'm going to go and tell you I'm going to go long. You'll be all right. Um, when he's talking about the law 
There's some things we've got to understand here. So when he's talking about the law, think about it. What, 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 how much Bible does he have, right? He doesn't have, obviously he doesn't have all this stuff, right? He's got Genesis through Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible written by Moses. The, the law, the Torah. He's got a story of how God created man for his glory in his image. How God messed up and sinned. That broke the relationship, the presence of God was, was, was limited now in, in, in man's life because of sin. Then he had promises to Abraham, promises to Moses, the story of how Moses then leads them out of slavery. Has the story of Joseph getting to Egypt and God providing through the midst of turmoil. He has all these amazing stories of God's faithfulness. He has stories of when people follow God, then God walks them through his plan for their life, which sometimes, like Joseph, doesn't go smoothly, but it has a great result. Even though we don't really hear a lot about him anymore. But he also sees when people choose not to follow him, how things go. He's got this law. Now we, we get to have so much more. We get the Psalms, we get the other prophets, we get all these stories of kings and judges, all things, not to teach us just good moral lessons, but to point us to God as our Redeemer. That's a good amen point. I'm going to say it again, all right? We get all this to point to God as our Redeemer. That was weak, but we'll keep going. Listen, this is... We get so much. All right, turn over to Psalm real quick. I want to take you to my favorite place. Psalm 119. Consistently, this is where God has taken me. Just look at verses 9 through 11. How can a young man... Keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. Mm. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Think back to Joshua. Let me not turn to the right or to the left. I have stored up your word in my heart. Meditate on it day and night, God tells Joshua, that I might not sin against you. It tells us right there that 9 through 11 are, are the answer to all the sin in your life. As a child of God, how, how do I keep my way pure? Guarding it according to the word. Not, not just according to good ideas, not just according to wisdom, but according to his word. All right, go over to verse 50. Look at 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction. Your promise gives me life. To me, that's, look, that's my, that's my coarsely ground, medium roasted, French pressed, Peruvian bean coffee. The word of God gives us hope. 
when nothing else can. Flip over to verse 101 through 104. Psalm 119. Hmm. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Think back to what God was telling Joshua. I do not turn aside from your rules to the right or to the left. For you have taught me, you've given me your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. First Bible anyone ever gave me as a teenager. They wrote in the beginning, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. You've probably heard that. This is the idea here. This is what God's telling Joshua. Saying, look, when Moses led him out of Egypt, he he got to talk to me face to face, but he's now written down words that I gave him to write down, and you have the written word of God, so follow it. Now, we've got to define success and prosperity because he talks about that a lot here. This is why I'm hitting this idea so hard today, is There's a real temptation to take this verse of meditate on the word of God every day and night and your ways will be prosperous. You'll be guaranteed success. And there's a way to cheapen that and and make it about your goals and your ambitions and your plans. But again, context. Everybody say context. What, 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 What command had God given Joshua? I need you to take my people, cross that river, and I'm going to give them my land. Was there really anything Joshua was supposed to do other than walk? We talk about how amazing a leader Joshua was, and he, and he is a great leader. You know why? Because so often, and he, he falls short, he does, but so often, like in this, he just does what God told him to do. Now, we've we got to be careful here and not create legalism. We, we can't get it out of order Because again, this is where that whole prosperity gospel thing comes in. When we think, because I do, God blesses. No, God has blessed me with salvation, so I will do. What what the gospel did is done. It's paid for. And now I do. Not I do so that my salvation will be done. Because that puts the credit on me. When God has provided salvation for his people like he has through Moses out of the, the land of Egypt and they, they cross the, the Red Sea and in Exodus 15 we see the first worship gathering with music and they start singing this song as they, they sing and worship because God has delivered them. It's the first time the word redemption is used in the Bible. They've been redeemed. Because they've been redeemed. This is not blind begrudging obedience. This is obedience out of affection. This is obedience out of wisdom. Even the word there in Joshua, go back to Joshua, the word there in Joshua in, uh, where it says success in verse 7, that you may have good success, actually can be even translated that you may act wisely. So don't get it twisted. 
This is not, I'm going to have some great plans for success, and if I'll meditate on the Bible, God's going to give me my plans. We need to define success as obedience and faithfulness driven out of affection. That's success. Success is standing before the Lord one day and him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. When he asks, when he does that, it won't be based on your bank account. It won't, it won't be based on any numeric anything. How many people you led to Christ? How many people you brought to Bible study? How many days you skipped church or didn't skip church? How many times you read your Bible? It won't be a numeric measurement. It'll, it'll be based on, did your affection for the Lord and the word of God lead you to joyful obedience in his presence? And joyful obedience, think back to Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, the great commission, the, the big mission we have. Joshua has this one. That's ours. Anytime we see Joshua following mission, we need to translate when we want to interpret and apply to ourselves the great commission. That's the mission God gave us. And and what does he say? That we are to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And what is obedience? Obedience is looking at the word of God, not as legalism, but as love and saying, I I don't want to go to the right or left here. Not, Not out of fear that God will no longer love me because I realize that God's love for me is not based on my obedience, but my obedience is based on his love for me. That I I can't get that twisted, that when you're disobedient, God doesn't love you less than he did when you were obedient. None of this was ever based on your behavior or your performance. It's always been based on his love and his glory. And so out of that intimate relationship with God, you'll get a delight for God's word, his law, and you'll think, I don't want to go to the right or left. Man, I want to I walk right where God tells me to walk because I want success. I want the success of walking the plan God has for me. That's the success I want. Not the success that this world will try to seduce me with, but the success that God has. Joshua's not the hero of the story. We can learn from him. But what we learn from him is his obedience, his humility, his courage to follow God in the midst of what seems to be crazy. Crossing the Jordan, marching around Jericho, fighting inhabited lands, all these things seem insane. But in his obedience, we see great things happen for God. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This word, this phrase, be strong and courageous, is used all throughout Deuteronomy and and even later it's used in other passages in the Old Testament and and, and if you look at it, you'll see there's a, there's a connection. It's always connected to the presence of God. This is not just a general idea, be strong and courageous. It's be strong and courageous because God's with you. 
That's why. So, so think about that. Think back again to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Our mission, Joshua has his. Ours is, is in Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, Mark. Right, This Great Commission, this idea that we are in 2 Corinthians 5, the ambassadors of Christ, the ministers of reconciliation, called to go make disciples, that make disciples, that make the community noticeably better. This, this is what we're called to. When, when we look at that, what is the comfort that, that Jesus gives them? He, he gives them this command, which seems impossible, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But I'll be with you to the end of the age. Do not fear. Listen to me. God has so much more for you than just being a good employee, a good husband, a good wife, a good son, a good daughter, a good Sunday school teacher. Don't, don't set your sights so low. Aim high. Be strong. Be courageous. Because you are called. God has called you to make much of his name with your life. It's impossible. You can't do it. Fall in love with the word of God. Fall in love with it. Follow God where he, where he takes you. And find strength in his presence. Let's pray. God.